60 years ago, 70 years ago, I told a story about how my grandmother came to Riverside. Yep. And she chose the location of her house based on whether or not she could walk to the grocery store, the school, and the church. Yeah. And to a certain degree, uh, there's a generation that still lives under the, the notion that if they just knew where we were, they would come to church. Sure. And I think for a long time in America, we've enjoyed the reality that there was a natural draw towards church. Yes. And I think one of the things we've seen in the last 20 years um, is a drastic change to that reality. This is the Church Report Podcast, exploring challenges the church faces around the world. Brought to you by the Rogo Foundation. Now, here's Scott Camden. Hey, what's going on? This is Scott Camden. I serve as the Advancement Director for the Rogo Foundation, and welcome to the Church Report. Today, I get to spend some time with one of the executives for Sandals Church based in Southern California. They're a multi-site church, and I'm with Brian Chalette, and Brian is the Executive of Network Services for Sandals Church. So, hey, Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, the, the goal in the church report typically is to address one big question and unpack that in about 10, 15 or so minutes. But as you and I talked a little bit about what today's topic, the question is going to be, uh, we realized that there was kind of two components that we wanted to talk about. It's changing culture and managing transitions. And we talked about uh, the idea of bringing those two together in a single episode. So before we tackle that, what I'd love for the benefit of our audience is to understand a little bit about your backstory. Nobody knows you more than likely. I mean, there may be a few people, but they don't know your marketplace experience. They don't know you recognizing the calling to full-time ministry. And then they, they certainly don't understand what the, the title executive of network services means <laughs> for Sandals Church. So could you just give a little bit of, uh, I'll say high level uh, clarity around those things that I mentioned? Sure. Glad to. Oh, yeah, I've had the, the privilege of being part of Sandals Church for over 20 years. I think I first started coming in maybe 98 or 99, back when we were at Victoria Community Church, uh, meeting there on Sunday nights. And so I've, I've been around Sandals Church for a long time, um, love following, uh, learning from Pastor Matt and Pastor Dan. Um, I, I started my career early on in aerospace. I went to USC and Pepperdine for uh, engineering and MBA school and, and spent some time in aerospace. Uh, from there, I, I started my own business. I did that for a number of years and um, it was quite successful for a season. And then as that market changed quite a bit, uh, my partners and I began to recognize that there probably wasn't a real solid future in the niche we were playing in. And so yeah. uh, ultimately we wound that down and, and with God's kind of, I'll say, providential timing, yeah, um, I was able to join uh, staff at Sandals Church a little over six years ago now. Yeah, um, I've served in kind of various operations, admin-related capacities over the years. Presently, I get to lead the teams uh, around finance and digital reach and media and marketing, um, our people teams, our online campus teams. Uh, project management, a lot of those types of things I get to, I get the, the pleasure of leading now. Um, I've got a beautiful wife, uh, three amazing children, yeah. um, and r really just excited about the next kind of leg of the journey at, at Sandals and in the church. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for giving uh, just a bit of clarity around a little bit about who you are, your calling to ministry, and what you do here, here at Sandals Church. So hopefully with that, folks, that gives you a little bit of confidence as Brian begins to address the question of, how to manage transitions in a changing culture. 
So with that, um, I'm going to hand over the talking stick to you. I may try to grab it back a few times, but I'd love for you to, to just start to share what's on your heart. Um, that really has been a place there because of past experiences, both um, probably some great highs, great moments of clarity because you handle things well. But I'm going to guess that there's probably been some experiences in the past where there's been some failures and potentially those have maybe been more beneficial than some of the successes because you probably learned some things in those failures that really help you in the future. But I'll give you that talking stick. Sure. Yeah, certainly we learn from the successes and the failures. Um, my, my first thought when I think about uh, managing transitions and church transi- transitions is is probably not going to knock your socks off. <laughs> I'm not wearing any today, so good luck. But yeah. Yeah, the first thought I think is, is this idea of actually understanding the change. Um, and I think sometimes we assume this. Um, I'm even sitting here with a coffee, coffee cup from our one conference last year. Quick plug, if you want to learn more about the one conference, you can go back and do that. Um, but the mug says agility, change delivered. And I think one of the interesting things about that is it presumes that we have actually first seen and understood the change. Hmm. But even as agile leaders, if we want to deliver change, we have to first see and understand it. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can kind of move through the thoughtful work of actually understanding the change that we're experiencing. That's good. Um, and I think one quick test for us is can we actually succinctly articulate the change that we're trying to transition through? Okay. And if we're struggling to maybe succinctly articulate, maybe we don't actually understand it and we're kind of just running and gunning through it. Um, and I think another thing that can kind of make this a challenging step um, is the reality that oftentimes as leaders, we're, we're dealing with multiple transitions at once. Yeah. You know, you even think about the world that we're in right now. Um, there's many churches that are dealing with kind of this cultural uh, evolution that we're talking about at the same time, a massive digital adoption that we're trying to understand and transition through. Some churches might even also be doing, I call this the trifecta. Also, be kind of in that time of the life cycle to be dealing with generational transition. Okay. And so you've got culture changes, digital adoption, generational transitions, and it really can begin to kind of cloud up your understanding of what are these transitions I'm even trying to lead through. And um, I think these realities um, can end up playing into uh, even church life cycles that we observe. You know, in, in 2019, the Unstuck Group released a publish, uh, published a, a study about kind of what percentage of churches were in what port, you know areas of life cycles. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. A lot of us saw that chart. It's a pretty interesting chart. Yes. Um, you know, it showed that I, I think it was eighty eight percent of churches were kind of in that declining, dying category, mm-hmm. and I think it was eleven percent were in the growing category. But interestingly to me. Um, there was only 1% that were in the sustained health, which tells me you can't live in sustained health. That's an illusion. Yeah. We're either growing and reaching or we're following the pattern of dying. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, you do a lot of our, uh, a lot of our revitalization work. You're a big part of that team. And a lot of times we find ourselves revitalizing churches in the fourth generation. Yeah. The great grandkids. Yes. And that's a sign that we, we maybe a generation or two ago wrestled to manage through some of these transitions. Yep. And maybe part of that was because uh, to a degree we wrestled to truly understand. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Do I understand the cultural changes that we're experiencing or what digital adoption is doing and, and that kind of thing? I want to ask a question about that, about understanding the change. 
uh, for the benefit of those listening, it's they may be thinking, well, I, maybe I don't truly understand the change that I'm trying to navigate. What are some steps that I could potentially take to help me understand the change we're experiencing? Do you have any tips, any suggestions that may help somebody ensure that they have a clear grasp of the situation? Sure. I would say on a, on a personal level, we need to prepare ourselves for the reality that we just might not like it. Um, the change that's needed might be counter to our preferences, counter to our intuition. So start with the posture of really being opened up to understanding change that we don't like. Um, and then I, I guess I'll kind of walk through what I see as far as the cultural change um, that we're experiencing right now. Because if you want to understand it, we've got to kind of walk through, hey, what is the cultural change that we're experiencing um, and I think there's a, a few key ideas there that I would encourage people to investigate. Um, the first one is this idea that uh, in a in a post-church world, which I believe we're now living in, even in our own country, uh, we've lost the home field advantage. Okay. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, I tell the story about how my grandmother came to Riverside. Yep. And she chose the location of her house based on whether or not she could walk to the grocery store, the school, and the church. Yeah. And to a certain degree, uh, there's a generation that still lives under the, the notion that um, if they just knew where we were, they would come to church. Sure. And I think for a long time in America, we've enjoyed the reality that there was a natural draw towards church. Yes. And I think one of the things we've seen in the last 20 years um, – is a drastic change to that reality. Uh, recently, Gallup also published what's now become a pretty popular uh, survey. And they showed that over the, 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 from the kind of the period of 1940 to about 2000, church membership declined 3%. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Um, so 3% decline in 60 years. And then in about the 20 years since then, it's declined to 23%. Yes. And even more so since COVID and even more so with younger generations. Yes. And so we're facing the reality that, um, that there's been a downward inflection point. And we're living in a time where there's whole generations for whom church is no longer a cultural norm. Um, maybe not even universally considered as virtuous and good. Um, it's not an instinctual destination anymore. Right. There right. isn't that gravitational pull. People, I read a quote recently that said, people do not need the church to see themselves as good or spiritual. And so I think the first part of understanding the cultural change that we're in is understanding that we've lost that home field. Okay. And it's not, uh, I guess maybe the second part is, is why. It's not surprising that that downward inflection happened right around 98, 99, the, 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 the widespread introduction of the, of the internet. Yeah. And we want to blame a lot of things on internet and digital and the, the horrors of all that, but there's a reality that the, that, that, um, that wave of accessibility yes. broadened curiosity in a way that, that we hadn't experienced for generations before. Prior to that, you might say, Hey, there was the library and there was the church. Yeah. And these are the, the institutions that hold information and truth. Okay. Yeah. I can well, see now that. curiosity has no boundary. Yeah. Now, if I'm curious, I don't have to go to the library or the church. Yeah. And in fact, I would say we've come to where 
all curiosity actually begins digitally. Mm. You know, if I want to fix my sprinklers, I don't go to Home Depot. I go to YouTube first. Yeah. And then I might go to Home Depot. Sure. And, you know, for the church, that, that kind of means, hey, church never starts at church anymore. Yeah. Uh, curiosity begins digitally. And whether we like it or not, spiritual formation happens digitally. Hmm. And we could debate it. We can argue it. We can put a committee together. But spiritual for- formation happens digitally. Okay. People are being formed in this digital environment in incredible ways. It's an environment where um, everyone from Joe Rogan to Gary Vee can be a pastor. Yeah, and they are. Yeah. And they are. Um, we no longer kind of have the corner on spirituality or truth or, hey, we're the place to go for help or understanding. Um, the Internet has opened that curiosity up. Yeah. And while it's provided great tools for us, it's also provided great tools for many other ways of thinking, many other perspectives or worldviews. Um, and investigating those things is only and I think those two things together um, have really put us in a different footing. Yeah. Um, you know, and part of that footing dictates this reality that um, we're now in a time where it's their game, it's their rules. We don't have the home court advantage anymore. Yeah. Uh, curiosity and formation are happening in other environments now. Yeah. We're no longer the one point, you know, your pastor is no longer the one voice that you listen to for a lifetime. You listen to many voices. Um, there's even a, even a sense that um, differentiating among churches is, is targeting a dying market. You know, for, for some time, there was almost a sense, hey, there's some, uh, whether only, even if only in pretense, there was a, some sense that church was good, maybe something I should be a part of, or at least a place I might go when I'm struggling and need help. Right. Um, And so we just need to be a good church. Or we just need to differentiate our church from the church up the street so that people know what the options are. Right. Because when they're ready to to come to church, then they'll know. Yeah. Um, And we kind of got into this pattern where um, we're just trying to create a great church. We're, We're measuring church against other churches and churchgoers. Yeah. And, and we're counting our success um, or failure that way. Um, and I think we're just in a very different time where some of those strategies that may have worked for the last 20 years aren't going to work for the next 20 years. Right. And I think there's just a real importance in understanding what I believe is that combination of kind of cultural change and digital adoption. Um, that was kind of, I'll say, uh, the final nail in the coffin was COVID, where people who would have never postmated a meal in their life were forced to. A hundred percent. My mom, who probably has a 98% church attendance rate lifetime, yeah. <laughs> is now watching three different pastors every Sunday morning from her couch, none of whom would she say is her pastor. Wow. Wow. Which is a very interesting dynamic for a generation that lived a very different way for their whole lives. Yeah. And, um, and really wrestling with an understanding that cultural change, how that digital adoption has affected that and and what kind of position that puts us in um, as a church, I I think is critical to managing the transition. If we don't understand it, how are we going to lead to it? Absolutely. Uh, 
as, and stop me if you don't want to tackle this now, if it's something you're going to tackle later. But the, the question I have in my mind is uh, for the listener who has rightly identified the change. They see it. They understand it. They know that there needs to be a change. And they're in leadership of a church. Lay leadership. They're the pastor. They're some type of support staff supporting the pastor. And they're looking at this change that they know that, that they must engage in. They must move in a, in a new direction. And then they pivot and they look at their congregation, whether it's, you know, a, a, a church of 10, a church of 75, a church of 200, a church of a couple hundred or thousands even. Um, how do they manage that transition well when it, it is, it is a, a, I'll go this route. It's a grand departure from how they've done ministry for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, decade, two decades. There needs to be a fundamental shift. It's almost a, a live or die moment. Yeah. If we don't, we're definitely on that downside of that curve. We're part of that 80, 80 some odd percent that's in decline. Um, we know that decline leads to closure unless there's some change. So they know they need to make that change. How do they manage yeah. that transition? Well. Uh, I, I don't have one, two, three, four for you, but I'll give you a couple thoughts. Sure. Um, I think the first thing that we do uh, th that that leader needs to really consider is, and again, this is a step that might seem uh, intuitive, but I wouldn't jump over it. And yeah. that's the, what kind of leader do I want to be? And I think it's a very reasonable question. And I'll give you two, two types of leaders for that. I'll say that senior leader who's finding themselves figuring, trying to figure out this transition. One is the elder statesman. The elder statesman is, is the, the leader who they led the transition a generation ago. Yep. And that's why they're kind of in the place that they're in. Um, and their posture or their stance is a little bit of, you know, I want to make my experience and my exposure available. Um, it's a little bit more of a passive, um, a passive availability. I want to make it available to the folks who are leading the, leading the change. Okay. That's, that's option one. Option two is saying, hey, I actually want to be that multi-generational leader. I want to lead the transition again. And it's important to understand, like, it, it's really important to actually give this some consideration because okay. there's no wrong answer from my perspective. Okay. But you do have to decide. Sure. Because if you want to be that multi-generational tra transformational leader again, um, you have to accept that I'm doing this again. But the first time I led the transformation, yeah. I had the context I lived it, yep. but I did not have the experience and exposure. And this time it has flipped. Yes. I have the experience and exposure, but I do not understand the context. Okay. I do not understand the context in all ways of what this change needs to be, what this generation is looking for, what all of this digital adoption needs to look like, yes. what's happening in the culture. I still can lead the change, but I need to understand I'm operating from a different place. Yes. Uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, I understood all the context of what was wanted and needed, yeah. but I had no experience or exposure. Right. Yeah. That was my, that was my, uh, that was my downside. And that has kind of, kind of, kind of switched now. And, yep. Um, and, I, and I think that if you can land on that, then you can begin to think, okay, I, I want to be that multi-generational leader. Um, how do I do that? How do I do that? If I understand that I have experience and exposure, but I, I maybe don't necessarily understand all the context. And um, 
I think that we have the, I think the church has a little bit of a model in this that we can actually look to. Um, and, and I call it, I, one of the things I, I have kind of started saying is um, the next generation in the digital space is our new 1040 window. That's kind of what a, a thought line that I've started introducing. And when we think about the 1040 window, um, we think about a couple things. We're now, we're going to their place. We're learning their language. We're learning their culture. We're inviting a conversation so we can get to know people. We yeah. can learn about them. We can earn the privilege to talk about talk to them about something yeah. that matters to us. I want to ask you to clarify something. There may be some listeners who don't know what the 1040 window is. So could you give clarity real quick to that before you continue? Yeah, so the 1040 window um, is this idea that there's an area of the world that is massively unreached and for a good generation has been kind of a, a missions focus. Yeah. Like we want to reach this particular area of the world that is, that is massively unreached. Yeah, great. And so we take a missional approach to that part of the world. Yes. Whereas here in the States, we don't take a missional approach. They're coming to us. They're coming to us. Yeah. We're just going to tell them what we're all about. We're going to give them great programming because they're coming to us. Yeah. Well, I think that, that we've got to switch that a little bit, which means, hey, we've got to take that missional mindset yes. where we, we have not earned a right to the conversation. Right. We might have to go where they're at and yes. join their conversation rather than only inviting them to our buildings for our conversation yeah. at 9 o'clock on Sunday. Yeah. And secondly, we think about this idea of kind of working through, I say, the indigenous people. Yeah. So if we have a, a missions mindset, we work through the indigenous people if we can. Yeah. Because they already know the culture. They already know the people have the relationships. Yes. Well, if we translate those ideas, you know, as a church, we already have some young people, some yeah. incredible young leaders. If your church is healthy. If your church you is do. healthy, you do. Yes. By God's grace, our church is healthy enough to have some incredible young leaders. Amen. So if I want to think about myself as that kind of multi-generational leader, I start thinking, how can I be directional, mm -hmm. um, provide expertise and experience, um, but not necessarily be the one translating that to what we actually do yeah. and the decisions we actually make. Because I've got some indigenous people. We call them young adults. <laughs> yeah. We call them teenagers. Yeah. They're great leaders. They actually know the context that they're living in. And right. they can probably make better decisions than I can yeah. about how we actually translate some of the direction we need to head. Um, and by doing that, um, we're really kind of, we're almost creating an incubator inside the church. Um, yes. I think it was Carrie Newhoff who said, the next generation are the best folks to innovate for the next generation. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have either option one. I want to be a uh, elder statesman. They're going to go off on their own and I'll give them my wisdom as they need it. Yeah. Or option two, we can actually incubate them inside of the incredible resources that God has already given them given them but that requires us to be willing yeah. to be um willing to kind of go through our own change management quickly yeah say, hey some of these things are not things that i maybe prefer yeah um it maybe does it's not aligned with my gut instinct maybe it's a little bit unfamiliar discomfort uh, uncomfortable yeah. for me yeah um but i'm gonna be okay with it i'm gonna press into that discomfort i'm gonna hunt for some um, maybe some unfamiliar waters and let this, this next gen um, who probably understands the digital adoption and the cultural changes maybe a little bit better than I do. Right. Figure out how we translate some direction um, 
into that work yeah. to live another uh, another generation. Okay. I want to ask you, tied, tied to what you just shared, uh, the role that prayer plays in in, in that in in this, um, and then a clarifying question because I think I know where you're going to go is for the leader that realizes that they want to be the multi-generational leader and they want to be in this and they recognize the necessity of having these young people who are a part of it. it in that model, is it for the leader, it's, it's their prayer time or is it prayer time that they need to engage in, but they also need to have prayer time with, with the other people that they're inviting into this, the other team, yeah. the role that prayer plays in this? Yeah, I, I would say most definitely to the second. Um, the role that, that prayer plays, I, I, I would say there's just, there's a need, I, I believe, at least in the early stages, to really be praying through the humility to release my own preferences and, 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 and really be willing to challenge my instincts. That's good. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do because uh, I, I, I talk about Mar- Martha Stewart isn't even Martha Stewart anymore. <laughs> no. I remember the, com- the first commercial where Martha Stewart was after she was in prison. I think um, she was in, uh, she was in the kitchen getting ready to make a meal and something went wrong and she says, "Oh darn it!" Just Postmates it. Yeah. And it was like I just looked at it and I said, "Martha Stewart isn't even Martha Stewart anymore." Yeah. Um, and that just means things are changing. Some people in our generation are Martha Stewarts. They, they love the perfect dinner party, invite people to our thing and the charcuterie board and all of that. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just our right. preference and style. It's yeah. what we like and enjoy. Yeah. But if you look down a generation or two, it may not be the things that they like and enjoy. Right. I mean, we've heard some powerful things from our – we have a, a cohort of next-gen leaders that we're – we're developing into. And one of them said recently at a meeting we were have, having, we we're talking about programming. And she said, our generation does not want to show up two things. We want to show up four things. Hmm. And it was, a, it was just a powerful, clear statement. Sometimes we have the preference that we just want, we want to show up to stuff and enjoy mm-hmm. stuff and be together. And, and people are coming and new people are coming and we're showing up to stuff. And they're kind of saying, we just don't prefer that. Right. And so can we, in our own uh, prayerful humility, say, am I willing to be open-handed? Yeah. Am I willing to be open-handed with that? Um, and, you know, there's a, a number of things like that. Um, but that's, I think that's part of the individual prayer. Another thing that comes to mind, um, one time B- Bobby Grunwald from Life Church came out to talk to our staff. And one of the quotes I, that I, I noted down from him he said, you must be re- willing to release things even if you are energized by the work and will miss it. And what that means is we have to be willing to let go of the things we like to do. Yeah. We might not be able to do a lot of things that refuel us because we've got to give them to someone else. Hmm. And um, so coming back to prayer, I think there's a reality of, you know, again, these are not one, two, three steps. But yeah. if you're thinking, what kind of leader do I want to be? Yeah. How do I want to embrace the next generation? How do yeah. I want to empower them, create an incubator? Yeah. I think there's a lot of prayerfulness in that need, that needs to go into yeah. the humility, the release, dealing with our own feelings. Okay, what is my worth and value? Yeah. What does it mean to offer 
uh, experience and direction without translating it to decisions. <laughs> what, what do I do when the decisions do get out of bounds? Because sometimes they do. Yeah. And we've got to bring them back. Hey, I'm going to let you make a lot of decisions, just not that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's reasonable and appropriate. So sure. as individuals, I think there's a lot of prayerfulness in that. And then uh, prayerfulness with the people that we invite in. Another thing we've heard a lot from some of our young leaders is this idea of proximity. And that's why I say, absolutely, we need to be prayerful with them. Mm. They're looking for proximity in all things. Yeah. Almost like, hey, can we just walk with you as you're thinking and deciding and moving and yeah. planning so that we can begin to see how you do it? You can begin to hear from us how we think about it. Yeah. And so uh, in prayer, as in all other things, I think a great proximity is important. And I think the vulnerability of even being prayerful with them about those things that we're struggling with, yeah. I think actually brings greater connection. And I think it oh, would yeah. actually even endear folks, uh, endear younger folks to our more senior leaders in a way that provides longevity. Yeah. Um, they can recognize, oh, before I jump to greener grass, <laughs> you know, in another yeah. pasture, hey, there's real good things going on here. Yeah. And, I, and if we can get this transition type thing to happen well, um, we'll have much more impact than we would separately. It's what I'm getting is like uh, one of the key takeaways just for me as we're talking is when I think of how to manage transitions in a changing culture, I need to make sure that the team that I've assembled to execute this transition in this changing culture, um, I don't need to be a mouthpiece that's communicating the things that they need to do for my master plan so we get through this, but rather the more honoring, a more effective way is to bring that group in to be communicating well with them, to have open dialogue in the appropriate spaces and, and to be praying with them and allow them really a, uh, a seat at the table for the full experience. Because there's gonna come a point where I'm gone mm -hmm. and either I discipled well, I mentored well in that, and I've given them a, a successful model, a solid model, uh, an honoring model, a biblically based model to follow um, or I fumbled that opportunity and I did not invest in them well and I have not prepared them well when I'm gone for when they realize that there's changing culture and we're in a season of transition. Have I given them a solid model to implement and follow so that this can continue on? Right, and, there's, and, and they're in a time when there's no more backstop, there's no more boundaries. Yeah. The training wheels are off. And I would say one other thing, I think that speaks a lot to how we engage um, with, with the next generation, I would say also as we engage with our peers, another very difficult thing to do is help uh, help the church as a congregation, I call it make the turn, where they, they move from collectively, not just kind of the, the leaders, right. um, but collectively from are we doing things that support our, um, our intuition, our preference, our feeding, and recognizing collectively we need to make this sacrifice so that we can um, reach the next generation yeah. um, before we're uh, revitalized in the fourth generation. Sure. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, I really appreciate uh, the time that you put into preparing for this and that you made time in your schedule to, to have this podcast uh, conversation with me. 
Um, I feel like one of the things that we need to tackle in a future episode is what does it look like to develop a change management plan and then successfully execute? I think in light of this, you see the changing culture, you realize that there, there is a transition that you're, or a season of transition you're gonna engage in. So how do you develop the plan so that you can move through that well? I'd love to unpack that with you in a future episode. But um, to all of you who have listened to the podcast today, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, uh, to subscribe to The Church Report. Uh, We work to get podcasts out every single week. I also encourage you, if you're on social media, to share this on your platforms, tell others about it. Maybe there's somebody who you know that has recognized that within their church, uh, things are changing and it's a season of transition. And maybe you've even recently had some conversations about how to navigate that. Maybe considering sharing this podcast with them. Uh, Finally, you can find out more about the podcast and you can even submit questions through this page that I can pass along to to Brian to look at and we'll look at future uh, episodes where we might tackle those questions or even respond to you directly. But you can find that out at rogofoundation.com slash podcasts. God bless y'all. I hope you have a great day.